on front page with me this morning, Parker and Krishnan, former news editor at Al Jazeera and columnist of with the Star. Also, Gathi Venkiteswaran, assistant professor at the School of Media, Languages and Cultures at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Good morning, folks. Good morning. Yes. Now, looking at the Malaysian Employers Federation, it looks like they'll have some problems filling up jobs following the government's move to stop recruiting foreign workers in the laundry, textile, hairdressing, and goldsmith businesses. Do you think Malaysians will want to fill these positions, Gayatri? I'm not sure why not. I think these are actually <coughs> sectors that could do quite well in terms of actually providing uh, opportunities for, for Malaysians. I think we should not dismiss that Malaysians are not going to do you know work in any of these sectors. You know, I actually think that there is a need to reduce significantly. Um, not because of anything. I think it's it's a way of also making sure that we maybe rationalize a bit more in terms of where we want to move our workforce and also think about ways in which some of these services can be handled differently. I mean, like, I think every corner now you turn, there's this laundromat yeah. popping up, which, you know, I think takes a lot of pressure from having to have the sort of old-fashioned... Laund- yeah. So I think that given the sectors that they have mentioned, I don't think we need to go all, you know, up in arms like the MEF saying, oh my God, what's going to happen with these <laughs> industries? What's going to happen with the em- employers? I'm thinking of it in a more positive way that I think it might actually, one... Maybe consider that locals can get into this, mm-hmm. and in fact they are. And two, also to think of whether we need to think of it in the same way that we've always been thinking, that we need to hire people to do this work. It can be replaced by other forms of uh, services. Right. Yeah. Your thoughts, Parky? Uh, I think it's, it's a huge problem. Uh, let's look at an overall context. We have a big problem with foreign workers. We have, some say it's 6 million. It's like 43% or 45% of our workforce. I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm. So looking at it, the problem is we have we have created a class structure now and uh, it's like the 3D sector, dirty, difficult and uh, dangerous. People don't want to take up these jobs because of the stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. And then you have a new D now, making it for this demeaning. Mm-hmm. People are looked down upon mm-hmm. and, and the Malaysians uh, do not even respect the, the workers. So I, th- I think the, the, the problem here is caused by the minimum wage. It's it's really mean. Mm-hmm. One thousand right. one hundred. How can you survive with that sure. money? Yeah. So, if you want Malaysians to take up these jobs, you must put in an effort to increase the minimum wage. Yeah. I think the minimum wage should be two thousand ringgit, a decent sum for people to take up this job. Mm-hmm. And I think when you say things like, you know, where are you going to get cheaper haircuts? Well, maybe it shouldn't be so cheap <laughs> because we are not actually compensating the <laughs> the worker. I mean. Yeah. The person who's working there, who's coming from another country, uh, may actually also be facing their own constraints. And mm-hmm. I think we are also being unfair to them. So I agree that yeah. actually the reason why people are not getting into this is because there's no, you know, sort of the... the no future. No reasonable income levels mm-hmm. to sustain them. And to think about how we are actually depriving those who are working there now of actual wages as well. Yeah. And don't, don't forget the employers are also at fault. They uh, avoid employing locals because they don't have to pay EPF. Mm. They don't have to pay the statutory mm, uh, yeah. contributions. Yeah. So they make it, you don't have to take care of the uh, medical benefits. Even big organizations and militia are resorting mm-hmm. to this. Yes. So what do you expect from these people? All right. When we come back, we'll be taking a look at um, the boom that is set for Sabah and Sarawak from Indonesia's new capital move to Kalimantan. That headline's next here on Light.
And with me on front page this morning is Gayatri Venkiteswaran, Assistant Professor at the School of Media, Languages and Cultures at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Also, Park Ren Krishnan, former news editor at Al Jazeera and columnist with The Star. And it looks like we can expect a boom, uh, that's, at least Sabah and Sarawak will, um, from Indonesia's new capital in Kalimantan. Uh, this move, I guess, will affect us in many, many ways. Um, how do you feel it will affect our border controls in Sabah and Sarawak? I'm not sure how it will affect our border controls directly, but you're talking of actually building 132 billion ringgit city. They're calling it a, a forest capital or whatever uh, with minimal damage to the environment. You're going to have an influx of workers to the city because everybody moves to capital cities to work. And uh, with that, there's going to be uh, more Indonesians coming to Malaysia through that way, looking for greener pastures. So I think we have to boost our border controls. We'll have to be tougher on them because of you have drug trafficking, uh, terrorism activities, and these are things that our border controls must focus on. But having said that, I'm not sure when this is uh, built and functioning, we we may not have Indonesians migrating to Malaysia. We may reach a state where Malaysians might be migrating <laughs> to Indonesia. Right. So these are things you have to consider. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be a long-term, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think we're going to see this necessarily happening within the next you know, five years. Um, I think it will take time. And also, I think also whether this is going to be the economic heart of Indonesia, it's not not certain. I think when you've yeah. had Jakarta be the, the sort of center for everything else, and which is part of the, the problem that it is facing mm-hmm. as a city, whether the new capital will also have the same law in terms of pulling in the, the business community, I'm not sure. Yeah, they haven't even mentioned which city it's going to be, right? Yeah, they're, they're throwing a short list. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Chief Minister Datuk Sri Shafi Abdal says that uh, Sabah can look forward to a boom. What are your thoughts on this? Gatsby? So, you know, we've had many or at least a few significant tri-country sort of areas for growth and development. I, I'm not so sure that these have necessarily contributed much in terms of the economic growth and development that was uh, expected. So, you know, between Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, Malaysia, Brunei and and Indonesia as well. These are the areas, right? I'm not sure that they stand out as being the most remarkable sort of plans when it comes to economic growth. So I'm not so sure why then you would want to think of this as a potential sort of source of growth. I think it will generate a lot of activities, but whether it is indeed going to give Sabah and Sarawak the kind of boost uh, Tourism, he mentioned, was a big, yeah. um, you know, industry. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's very speculative like, at this point. Right. I think there are so many other things that, uh, even in terms of like border control, in terms of uh, tourist activities, well, why would this necessarily boost Sabah and Sarawak where it is already, in fact, a destination at the moment? So, I mean, I'm just saying that I, I don't see why this has to change uh, what is currently uh, mm-hmm. at stake. Okay, when we come back, we'll take a look at the race that's heating up for government vehicle fleet contracts. That's next here on Light. On front page with me this morning, Parkrin Krishnan, as well as Gayatri Venkiteswaran. And uh, the race is heating up for government vehicle contracts. Uh, these long-term contracts are highly sought-after business. It's no surprise that the tender to manage the huge fleet of vehicles has attracted fierce bids from some of the biggest automotive groups in the country. So it seems like a lot of money is spent on transportation, mainly luxury cars. 
why are we not reverting to local cars? Yeah, when I looked at the figure, I didn't realize how much we were actually spending on uh, on cars. So in a way, it's good that nowadays we are actually all being very casual about a lot of things. One point five billion over five years—that's a lot of money to lease and uh, to maintain. And definitely, one wonders what. About the local cars, why not just use them? You know, to be fair, it's not we are not talking about high-end luxury cars, which they could if they wanted to. Some chief ministers, I think, do drive some very fancy uh, uh, high-end cars. You know, at a time when we are also thinking about what is uh, necessary for the environment, also in terms of consumption, you know, changing practices. You wonder whether they can maybe do without actually a lot of these uh, vehicles as well and setting good examples in terms of maybe using public transportation <laughs> they might then understand better the needs of the the average citizen exactly <laughs> your thoughts uh, parker okay. i remember in you know in the days of old when amno was bold <laughs> <laughs> you know when proton they was they have fancier cars yes, <laughs> when proton was invented and you have the current batch of government leaders who are in the opposition who are just barking at them saying why are you spending so much cars on luxury cars mm. and here you are coming back and not opposing what you opposed then yeah i think there's this there should be more scrutiny to this whole concept right well i know overseas a lot of ministers and you know even politicians they take public transportation i know in switzerland yes. they do they've got great public transport yeah. and um i guess there I, i don't know this for sure but i don't even know if they get a grant or uh, any kind of funding for you know luxury chauffeur driven cars mm. Well, I think actually they don't. They are very tight on that budget. And considering that a lot of work is being done in Putrajaya, maybe you can just use the hop on, hop off bus. Uh, <laughs> you know, to go from one meeting to the other. Yeah, no, I think we are definitely not setting the standards, right? I think it's it's an opportunity that's been presented to say, look, should we actually? And uh, Pakaran says, you know, like years ago, you you criticize precisely these kind of things, mm-hmm. um, and now it's become your sort of well, it was there. You know, it's a matter of just renewing. Make a principle stand and say that no, we're not going to actually uh, um, set aside and you know aim for much higher sort of ideals, lah. I think you know. Well, coming up, uh, there's a clamor to degazette KLCT plan as uh, more parks become skyscrapers. We'll be taking a look at that headline next here on Light. On front page with me this morning is Gayatri Venkiteswaran, assistant professor at the School of Media, Languages and Cultures at the <coughs> University of Nottingham, Malaysia, and uh, veteran journalist Parkrin Krishnan. Looks like there's a clamor to degazette KLCT plan as more parks become skyscrapers. Can you tell us what the KLCT plan is all about? I think from what I read, it's about a detailed lot based on plan that determines land use, zoning. Uh, intensity and uh, those kind of guidelines for the purpose of development but KLCD plan 2020 was like started into 2008 and and the had these hearings feedback for four years and they completed it in 2012 for some strange reasons the previous government had not gazetted it mm. so i'm wondering why why did they not gazet it because probably to kind of allow development mm-hmm. that won't benefit them so they held on to it and this government had to gazette it october, october last, last year, year october yeah. last year but but what happens the, the damage has already been done so and and this f- expires in another year or so mm. it's yeah. kind of a, a very funny situation we are yeah. in yeah also i think the main problem with the city plan is that in that period of 2008 and 2009 they invited the public feedback so if you had any issues any comments on what the 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 plan was going to be in terms of how you use the the, the spaces so actually there were all these feedback uh, collected 
But the version from 2012 differs significantly from what was eventually gazetted how many years later, six, seven years later. Because in that time, they added the kind of development or the sort of constructions, which was not subject to public scrutiny. So you had this process of having people look through the whole thing, give your feedback. Then you had the, the plan. But then when it was gazetted, actually it had put in stuff that was not subject to the the public. So it's actually something that I think you can even say was maliciously done because it was intended to allow for the state, the government, to actually do all of these things mm-hmm. without actually having the, the approval. So in a way, I mean, I think there's basis to also fight the gazettement and say that, well, you know, this is right. actually illegal based on what is in the law, really. Yeah, yeah. But you can de-gazette it, but you can't bring down the buildings. That's the true. That's, already yeah, the done. damage is yeah. definitely done. But it shows that, you know, this government, and there's also accusations of, you know, the minister having a stake in right. having to gazette it. So you kind of like lock in the benefit already now, you know. Right. So you're right that you can't remove this development, but it but it really needs to put the government at this, in the spotlight and say, look, you can't continue with this kind right. of uh, practices. Because they're, right. they're starting the uh, KL City Plan 2050. So yeah. you got to put mm. things right from based mm. on this experience. And I hope they will gazette it by 2048. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, in your opinion, should it be de-gazetted? It absolutely has to be de-gazetted. I think it has to go back into a uh, public sphere. Again, can we uh, undo those uh, damages? Yeah. No, but I think that in a way as what uh, some of the uh, advocates in those areas have been talking about, you have to open it back up and say, look, this is not what was actually agreed upon. Yeah. And you have to open it and, and, and get Address public it, feedback yeah. mm-hmm. to what is now already the development uh, in those areas. Yeah. When we come back, we'll be taking a look at uh, authorities wanting wider highways. All of that next here on Light. On front page with me this morning, Parkrin Krishnan and Gayathi Venkiteswaran uh, looking at this one. Authorities want wider highways so that uh, they can manage heavy traffic flows, especially during the festive season. Would wider highways actually help motors or will this traffic problem that we continuously have just be on a larger scale? What are your thoughts? Wider highway just for the duration of maybe one week in a year. Uh, That's spending a lot of money just for that uh, period because actually they say that right during the festive season that it gets clogged up and I think we actually need a lot more evidence that, you know, what is the cost-benefit analysis of of this uh, Mm -hmm. suggestion? Because, well, there was a time when they said, look, we need highways and then we need more highways and then we need more highways and has that actually addressed traffic congestion in many parts of the country? I don't think so. I think we have not actually gone down the path where we are addressing this fact that we have too many cars on the road. I think we're all guilty of it. I'm definitely guilty of Mm -hmm. it as well. I don't think that expanding or widening the roads uh, will necessarily ease. Again, we're talking about very specific times in a year, but having to spend and does the spending actually then lead to justifying keeping the toll prices and you know maybe even increasing it so I think we need a little bit more information on what those plans really are right yeah. your thoughts uh, I think this like what we all are saying is a very uh, short term mm. ad hoc Plastic. and uh, <laughs> our leaders are very our leaders and civil servants are very fond of coming out with these statements without thinking like uh, what Gayatri said it's going to be like what 10 times a year 15 times a year mm-hmm. for that you go and extend and there's not much land to expand uh, mm. highways mm. you can yeah. you look at it at yeah. the most another additional lane 
And by the time you, you build that lane, the volume would have gone up Already twice gone up. as yeah. much as yeah. you needed. Yeah. So I think the, the Bali Kampung rushes are an international phenomena and mm. this is a problem every in every part of the world. So they have to think of real long-term solutions, mm. which is difficult under the current circumstances of growth of uh, population and, and vehicle volume. So I think uh, there needs to be a more comprehensive study and right. not just making these announcements. Mm. Well, you know, off the top of your head, are there better ways to tackle and reduce highway congestions? So over the years, you know, we've had things like staggered hours, you know, actually different kinds of behavioral sort of changes, I think does help. Of course, it's not reducing entirely because the volume is increasing anyway. Mm-hmm. Reliance on public transportation has been disappointing. I think a lot of people who do want to take the public transport um, have found that, okay, that is not able to cope with the volume of people. So maybe that's where the investment needs to go in rather than actually encouraging the kind of vehicle. So mm-hmm. I think it has to be a, a mix of things. And as I said, I think, you know, getting people to think about different times, different, you know, sort of routes and all that has helped in some ways, people are actually thinking about, okay, planning their, their, their Journeys, trips much yeah. better. So I think it will take time, but I think that is where we need to, to focus and definitely on public transportation, the capacities. All right. Well, uh, folks, thank you so much for joining thank me this you. morning. And uh, we had Parkrin Krishnan and Gayati Venkiteswaran this week on Front Page. If you missed it, you can check out our podcast by downloading the Shock app. That is S-Y-O-K on the Google Play or Apple App Store.